Hey friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast. For any new listeners out there, my name is Matt Zapala, and I am your host. Guys, a little bit of my backstory. I'm a qualified personal trainer and currently studying a Bachelor of Health Science majoring in Nutritional Medicine. Through this show, I aim to educate and empower you guys to make healthful, sustainable changes in your life. I don't want this platform and my practice to be your quick fix. I want it to be your only fix. And with that being said, I'm delighted to bring you this week's guest on the show, Jackie Frangis-Karkas. Jackie is one of the most knowledgeable and inspiring individuals I've ever come across. Her passion for the human body oozes out of her, and I'm sure you guys can tell just by listening to this chat. Today we sat down and discussed the ins and outs of the female reproductive system, so ladies, listen up. And any males out there with a lady in their life, this one is for you too. This episode provides us men with some great tips on how we can better support our women. Teamwork makes the dream work, you know? Jackie walks us through each phase of the female menstrual cycle, as well as discussing what the OCP or oral contraceptive pill is and its common uses. Lastly, Jackie provides you guys with some hot tips on how to become more in tune with your body and getting to know your cycle better. Jackie has also started up an Instagram page dedicated to all things female reproductive health. Head over to at the.nourished.cycle to find out more and I'll have that in the show notes. Last little bit for me guys, if you are listening to this episode, let me know by screenshotting the cover and posting it on your social media platform and tagging both Jackie and I in it. Well, that's enough from me guys. Over to you, Jackie. Jackie Frangis Carcass, welcome to the Weekly Dose of Euphoria podcast. Hello, thank you very much for having me. I was just saying, guys, that I've been practicing the pronunciation of Jackie's surname all weekend, so I'm glad I nailed it right off the bat here. You did. You got it right first. <laughs> first so gold star from that. <laughs> I've got a track record of mispronouncing last names in my podcast, so um, good to see we're off, <laughs> off to a good start. Yeah. Now, Jackie, oh, I'm yeah. super, super pumped to pick your brain during today's episode. You're an absolute wealth of knowledge. I've been following your journey for quite some time on Instagram. I'm really, really excited to be able to pick your brain and put it into a podcast format. But before we get into all things contraception, I'd love to know um, your background and your upbringing. Background and upbringing, God, where do I start? <laughs> so I um, I have always been fascinated with the human body. I, ever since I was a kid, my favourite TV show was ER and RPA, all those kinds of medical shows. Um, don't know why, I don't know where that came from. There's really no one in our family that's kind of like that. So it's just a random thing for me. Um, and then I got to the end of my year 12 studies and was thinking, well, what am I going to do? I didn't probably, I didn't think that I would try hard enough to get into medicine. So I was looking at other degrees and ended up falling for um, prosthetics and orthotics. So I originally come from a, I've done a bachelor's in health science and a master's in prosthetics and orthotics at La Trobe University here in Melbourne, um, which was great. I just, again, didn't love it. Never really, never really caught me. And I'm a big person for saying, do what you love. Um, so I just continued to work for about a year once I'd finished that degree and then found myself into the PT game. I've always loved fitness, always been a big sport fan, always a big footy fan, go Hawks for any Australians listening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
yet loved AFL and all of that. So I went down the fitness route, became a personal trainer. And then once you're into personal training, I feel you can't have personal training on its own. It's got to come with nutrition. Um, I myself used to weigh 80 kilos and I'm five foot two. So I'm really short and I used to be quite overweight. It was the classic, um, just was in high school and just ate whatever, had no care about my body or anything. And then once I left high school, realized, okay, maybe I should start to focus on my health. Um, Ended up losing about 25 kilos myself. So I went through my own sort of weight loss journey. I've done a bodybuilding comp. I've run a marathon, run a half marathon, done all kinds of things with my body. Um, And I've learned a hell of a lot along the way in terms of losing my period through the bodybuilding comp, having a near thyroid condition, all of that jazz. So I really feel like I've been there when it comes to working with my clients too. I can really quite relate to them. Anyway, had the health journey, became a PT. Now I'm back at uni studying nutrition, sort of in my final year. I've done it a bit sort of backwards because you can kind of pick and choose which subjects you do at one time. But I'm about five subjects off finishing, so I should be graduated next year. Um, And now I'm here. So I work with clients on the daily as a personal trainer. I work with some nutrition clients, helping with them with their advice. Um, I do all, like nutrition's my baby. I absolutely love it. I could sit there in bed, and I do. And I read journal article after journal article. I don't stop reading about it, um, which I absolutely love. I can honestly find myself getting lost in it for hours. Um, And we were having a sort of pre-recording conversation about how much, you know, like I love reproductive health, but then I go on and read some stuff about the gut. Then I love gut health and how you kind of, everything relates in the body. The body is such a system or an interweb of systems that they, it's not one thing or the other. You kind of need to know at least a little bit about everything and trying to know a lot about everything to really, I think, succeed well with the body in terms of giving treatments and helping people with nutrition. Um, so that I think is going to be, you know, my long-term goal, really knowing a lot about a lot of parts of the body and trying to break the stigma and the, the BS that's out there today. I think we have so much access to so much information um, that we're just sometimes getting fed the wrong things. We're getting sucked into influences on social media. We're following one diet, then another diet, putting labels on things that are unnecessary. And I'm just trying to, you know, as unsexy as it is for marketing, I'm really trying to simplify food and bring it back to the basics where really it's the key, you know, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, getting all those kinds of things into your diet that really end up serving you long-term in your health. Yeah, I really love that point there, Jackie. I think that we've overcomplicated the nutrition realm and the fitness realm to some certain aspects mm-hmm. as well. And I think, you know, looking through the lens of, if when we start to look through the lens of fueling our body and trying to nourish our body, I feel like that simplifies the game just a little bit. Yeah, like I feel sometimes when I'm working with clients or even on my Instagram, I kind of feel a bit like a broken record because I kind of have the same message for a lot of the conditions that I bring up when I'm educating through my Instagram, you know, so many things come back to the basics, eat lots of fruit and veg, whether you eat meat or not, that's up to you. But provided you get more plants into your diet, I think is a really big, big factor that not a lot of people do. Everyone goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you look at the statistics, I think it's 10% of Australians get the recommended serving of fruit and vegetables in their diet. It could even be less than 10%. 
which is just huge. Like it's, it's boring. It's not sexy. It's not really that marketable as much, but I'm going to try and make it marketable (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, try and bring that back, bring it back to the basics. It's not about this greens powder and this diet. It's about, do you have enough fruit and veg in your day? Really, really love that, Jackie. And I guess there's a lot of yelling and screaming within the health and fitness industry. And I guess the one thing that everyone really agrees on that fruits and vegetables are healthy. So why not let incorporate more of those things into our diet? Exactly. Like you look at all the trendy diets that are out there. I mean, minus the carnivore diet that's come out now, but I think they all agree on fruits and vegetables. Definitely. Definitely. So if that's something to look at, well, you know, everyone should start there really. Absolutely, Jackie. And I guess just backtracking a little bit before we get into the nitty gritty of this podcast, where do you think the overcomplication of, you know, food, nutrition, um, exercises begun? And and why do you think that that is so um, trendy these days to overcomplicate things and try and find that sort of one fix for um, for an issue that needs a whole complex um, bit of attention? Look, I think at the end of the day, what it, there's probably two things. If we take it right back, I think it comes back to food manufacturing. The ability that we have now with the science that we have to manufacture food to taste, to trick taste buds, to trick the brain, the, you know, all those physiological things that go on, even simple as artificial sweeteners now, like we don't know their true effects. And I think people are going to be shocked in 20, 30 years time to see what happens there that, we can now create foods, you know, in a body test tube. And that begins the complication. The fact that we can manufacture food, we take it away from nature and what naturally comes to the earth and we start making things. And then when we can make things and we can make things addictive and all that, we start to see a marketing venue there because people are going to want more. And then with marketing, you have probably the biggest aspect of marketing this day and age is social media. So then you have every person jumping onto social media, trying to market and sell themselves and sell a brand. And there's pressures now with social media of how connected it makes people or connected in inverted commas, I would say, um, that so many people can get ahead of the game and make money via that. And I think, you know, the combination of fake foods taking away from nature and how marketable social media is and how you don't need a qualification anymore. You know, people who have zero qualifications in fitness or nutrition, a very unregulated area today, is uh, handing out supplements, uh, uh, promoting food products that are unhealthy for you. And again, it's that sexy marketing. It's the put it in front of my half-naked bum in a G-string or my low-cut top. And you can look like me if you drink this product. You know, I think it's social media is so powerful. And I think more often than not, it's used in a negative way. Yeah, really, really great point there you raised, Jackie. And I guess the whole uh, social media realm is a conversation that, you know, we could dive in depth. Um, But maybe that's that's for another (laughs) podcast, hey? Definitely. I think so. (laughs) Love it. Now let's get into the body of the conversation that we're planning to do today. I'm really, really excited about this. And I guess women experience something every month known as the menstrual cycle. And I really think that's an important thing that um, all men and women understand what it is and, and what sort of physiological effects happen during this period. So I'll leave that up to you. Yeah. Okay. Everyone get your pens and papers. (laughs) (laughs) So look, this is a big one. And it's something that I think off the bat, I need to state that women are changing week to week. 
our hormones, which are chemical messengers inside of our body that communicate things inside of our body are changing from a weekly basis. Um, you know, without trying to put a sort of stigma on this, um, you know, women can be seen to be a bit crazy sometimes or up and down or, oh, she's moody today and she's happy the next. There is actually a total physiological reason for that. There is hormones going up and down on the weekly, on the daily, whereas with a man's reproductive cycle, it's pretty constant. Day in, day out, the same things kind of happen. You know, if a man was to go on a contraceptive pill, it would kind of, he'd need to take something sort of six times a day because it's very just steady across your day. Whereas a woman, a woman is fluctuating up and down at all times. So please know that ladies, you're not crazy. <laughs> Things are constantly changing and it's actually really fascinating when you actually delve into it. So I guess we'll start with what is a normal period. So a normal period can be anywhere from, women can have anywhere from a 21 to 35 day cycle. Um, if you're in your teen years and you're just beginning or, you know, even earlier preteen and you're beginning your cycle, they can last anywhere from sort of the 40 day mark as well before they begin to regulate themselves. So our menstrual cycle is broken down into essentially two major phases. Some people like to look at it as four different phases, sort of four seasons of the cycle. I'm going to break it down probably a little bit more simpler here for you guys today. So we've got our follicular phase, which is the first half of your, oh, sorry, I should start with, we've got menstruation. So your actual period is when you begin your cycle. That is day one. Your first day of um, consistent flow or consistent bleed is day one of the menstrual cycle. Most women bleed anywhere from sort of three to four to seven days long. And then they go into what's called a follicular phase. So this can vary anywhere between one to three weeks. Then we've got ovulation, which occurs across, across a 24 hour period. And then you've got your luteal phase, that second half, which goes anywhere from sort of 10 to 16 days. So if we delve straight into the follicular phase, so we've just had our bleed, we've had day one where we've bled, we've gone through our period, we've now got no more blood anymore we're into our follicular phase. It's called follicular because this is when healthy follicles inside the ovary begin their race to ovulation. This can take anywhere from sort of six to eight days where you have follicles coming up to the edges of the ovary and essentially one of them ends up winning the race. So what stimulates this production of follicles to the edges of the ovary is a hormone called your follicle follicular stimulating hormone or FSH, this comes from the brain. So the brain communicates all the way down to the ovary and says to the ovary, hey, follicles, you can begin to rise to the surface for me now. This essentially is like a, like a whip to your ovary. Like goes, come on, mate, let's go. <laughs> during, this, during this time, the follicles are rising and estradiol, one of three types of estrogen in the body, begins to be produced. So estradiol is our fabulous estrogen component. It stimulates our mood, stimulates our libido. Um, it does this via boosting neurotransmitters such as serotonin and dopamine. For anyone that doesn't know, that is essentially our happy hormone and our pleasure hormone. So they're the guys that make us feel good and that give us pleasure when we do something. Um, estradiol also helps stimulate, uh, helps with the muscles, bones, brain, heart, skin, metabolism, aids against insulin resistance, 
has so many effects inside the body. This is where we need to start to look at our reproductive cycle as more than just an ability to make a baby or not. It controls and regulates so many aspects to our health that I think people don't realize. And when we are looking at it as just a reproductive system, estradiol, the estrogen, ends up, what it does in this follicular phase is it stimulates the uterus lining to grow and thicken. It also stimulates the production of what we call fertile mucus. So let's just recap that. Brain whips out FSH, follicles begin to come to the edge of the ovary, we get a production of estrogen, our uterus lining thickens, and a fertile mucus begins to be created inside the uterus. So this fertile mucus, it, is, um, it arrives just days before ovulation. It is essentially like a raw egg white. It's slippery. It's clear. It can come in actually quite a high dose inside of women. Women can find it on their underwear. It can be slippery upon wiping. I always have a little giggle when I say this. Girls, some girls don't realize that it's actually happening. Again, this is a part of knowing our bodies and making sure that we're in tune with what's going on. That when this mucus starts to occur, you'll go to the toilet and, you know, you'll give your wife and you'll kind of whoop, like you'll slip <laughs> and you'll find, you can actually see it on the toilet paper. It's like a clear mucus that comes out. It's completely normal. And what the role of this mucus is, it's like an escalator to, your, to the sperm. So that's why it's called fertile mucus. Without this kind of mucus being produced inside the um, women's reproductive system, sperm could take you know, anywhere up to 12 hours to get to the fallopian tubes, which is where they meet the egg. However, with the mucus, it happens in a matter of minutes. So it's literally like a shuttle that takes any sperm that's inside and shoves it up into the fallopian tube so you can make a baby. Like a big rush picture, like a rapid you know, white water rafting. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, and now again, we'll make note of this mucus because this is a part of um, contraceptive methods as well. So just keep that in mind. So this mucus is produced a few days before we ovulate and then we get to the main event of a woman's cycle, which is ovulation. Everyone looks at the period as the main event, not the thing. Your ovulation is like the main act and your period's a supporting act that comes on before. Ovulation is key and critical and I'll get into that reason in just a minute. So during ovulation, it is a 24-hour period. So a woman can actually fall pregnant sort of six days of the month, but she only ovulates across 24 hours. I'll explain that a bit later. So we, thanks to a little guy called luteinizing hormone or LH in the body, we, this is released. The follicles that have come up on the ovaries begin to swell. And one of those follicles ends up winning the race and it ends up rupturing. So it ruptures through the edge of the ovary and that's what releases the egg. So outside of the follicle comes the egg and then it starts to swim in the fallopian tube. Now a woman can actually feel and ovulatory pain during this time. There might be one day of the month where women gets a little sort of twinge or it can be a pain that lasts a couple of hours or some lower back pain during that sort of middle range of that cycle. That tends to be when the egg has actually ruptured through the edge of the ovary and ends up being released into the fallopian tube. Um, and this is the key, this is ovulation, when that egg is released. Now you don't sometimes ovulate, you don't 
kind of ovulate. Ovulation is an all or nothing event. You do or you don't. Um, and then after ovulation, you'll either fall pregnant or, you know, roughly two weeks later, you get a period. That is it. There's no middleman in there. Ovulation is ovulation. So the egg yeah, is swept into the fallopian tube. It's either met by a sperm or it's not. And then all those other follicles that didn't win the race, they get reabsorbed back into the ovary, which then takes us onto the second half of the reproductive cycle called the luteal phase. So we've had the egg come into the fallopian tube. That ruptured follicle now turns into what's called the corpus luteum, which is a gland that sits on the edge of the ovary. It's kind of like how you've got those really long roads. For anyone that lives in Melbourne, in particular the eastern suburbs, you've got Maroondah Highway. Maroondah Highway runs all the way down through kind of towards the city and it ends up turning into Whitehorse Road. It's still the same street, but it just kind of changes name. This is, yeah, I know. I love my analogies. Right? I absolutely love it. It's so good. It's painting a really, really good picture. Good. I'm glad. So the follicle turns into this gland called the corpus luteum. Now, what's really interesting and super cool about this gland is it actually grows to be about four centimetres in size in the space of 24 hours. So in one whole day, you have this gland that grows massively. Nowhere else in the body under normal conditions does this, which I think is pretty freaking amazing. So now this is where ovulation is the main event is that this corpus luteum, this large gland that's now grown actually ends up creating progesterone. Progesterone is our other key reproductive hormone in terms of women's reproduction. It is our calming hormone. It's our anti-anxiety agent. It counterbalances estrogen. It's the yin, yin and yang. So it's the yang to estrogen. It boosts the thyroid, it reduces inflammation, it builds muscle, it promotes sleep, it protects against heart disease, it calms the central nervous system. It does this because it converts progesterone to a substance called allopregnenolone. Don't need to worry about that. All you need to know is it kind of stimulates relaxation and sleep. All right? So without this corpus luteum, this gland after ovulation, we wouldn't have progesterone. This is why ovulation is so crucial because if we don't ovulate, we simply don't make progesterone. And if you look at all the functions that I just rolled off my tongue there, it is crazy how protective and how amazing progesterone is to the body. Again, for things that are other than reproductive purposes. Jackie, I'll just stop you there. So, sorry, we'll we'll pick up that conversation again. I'm really, really intrigued by the role of progesterone. And I guess before we take this any further, what are the negative, you know, aspects that people or symptoms that, you know, women will feel if they're not ovulating and they're not releasing progesterone? Yeah, of course. So uh, a woman's cycle will pretty much be... Um, disrupted. So that 21 to 35 day cycle that women normally get, women with low or no progesterone who don't, or who don't ovulate will either bleed earlier in their cycle. So they won't get that full extent of a 21 day cycle, or they can also um, have spotting go on before they get to their period. So essentially, if you don't ovulate, more often than not, you won't get a period. So women who aren't getting a period every month are not ovulating. Now, the other thing that I need to mention here is that you don't have to ovulate to bleed at the same time. So 
as I said, you'll build up all that estrogen at the start of your, at that first half of your cycle, which builds that uterus lining and allows it to grow and thicken. And if you don't ovulate, that will essentially fall away earlier. So you can still get a bleed and not ovulate, which is what we call an anovulatory cycle. So if you're getting quite short periods, you know, if you're getting a period every sort of two weeks, or if you're not getting a period at all, they are key signs that you're actually not ovulating. There's one more in there as well in terms of body temperature, which I'll get to as we go further down when I talk about body temperature rises. So as I said, progesterone, you know, does all those amazing things inside the body. And if we're looking at it again from that reproductive purpose, think about the name progesterone, progestation. Its main role in terms of reproduction is to nourish and withhold a pregnancy inside the body. So if you end up falling pregnant, that corpus luteum gland, which is the guy that makes the progesterone, will survive inside of you for about three months until the placenta begins to take over and that will start making progesterone. However, if you do not fall pregnant, if the egg isn't fertilized by a sperm, that corpus luteum dies away and its maximum length of time that it will last is 16 days. So anywhere between the 16 day mark, that corpus luteum essentially gets sort of reabsorbed, um, the progesterone drops, your uterus contracts and your lining sheds, which then bleeds you on, brings you on to your next bleed. So that's where it can be variable for women in terms of the length of your cycle is it's that first half that's variable. The luteal phase is always roughly 10 to 16 days. Anything beyond the 16 day mark, you probably haven't ovulated um, because that corpus luteum will essentially be reabsorbed by that time. It's that first half that's variable. Some women can have longer follicular phases. Some women have shorter ones, but it's that 10 to 16 day mark that will always stay in that luteal phase. That does not change. Now, which brings on again to the bleed. So which then marks your next cycle. So beginning of day one. Now, what I need to say here is women, it is not normal to get PMS and excruciating pain. It is very common, but it is not normal. Essentially, your period should kind of creep up on you. You know, I know women that are in debilitating pains the days leading up to and the days that they actually begin bleeding. If your pain doesn't subside relatively quickly, or, you know, if you can't take a, you know, analgesic like Nurofen or Panadol and it doesn't go away, that means something is also going on. More often than not, it can be a hormonal imbalance. It could be things like fibroids. It can be other conditions going on, things like endometriosis as well. However, the pain, if, yeah, if your pain doesn't subside relatively quickly, then something else is going on and you need to investigate. Don't just cop it on the head. I know that a lot of people get told that period pain is completely normal. No, I think that's where we have a very blurred line in just anything with diagnosing in the modern day. There's so many things that are normal, uh, sorry, that are not normal, but they're common. Like, I mean, you look at cancer this day. Cancer happens to one in two people now. 50% of people will get cancer. It's common, but it's not normal. It shouldn't happen, which I think women, you know, don't, don't stand for that. If you're receiving debilitating pain from your period, serious back pain, serious cramps, 
then you need to get yourself checked and make sure that you keep fighting until you get checked. I know it can be very hard. You know, if a doctor is not allowing you to get a blood test for a certain reason, you have the ability to pay for that. So it can be some of the best money that you'll ever spend in your life, but just make sure that you do get that checked out. Um, now, for most women, their bleed is roughly up to 80 mils for the entire time of bleeding, which isn't actually a lot, a few tablespoons. And 80 mils is quite a actually heavy period. So unless you're using a menstrual cup, which is a way of um, a sanitary item, unless you're using a menstrual cup, most women won't know how much they're bleeding. However, if you're needing to change your pad or your tampon any... Um, every sort of one to two hours, that's quite a heavy bleed. And again, something else might be going on that you should get checked. So if you're wearing a pad or a tampon, it should be sort of that three, four and beyond hour mark that you need to change. If you're needing to change it sooner than that, that's, that's not normal. So I think it's really important to distinguish. We also shouldn't be seeing any large clots in there. Small clots are okay, but no large clots larger than sort of a five cent coin. Um, yeah, and that's, that's kind of the reproductive cycle. So just know that don't stand for pain, right? And if we're getting pain, that's not manageable. If it's debilitating your daily life, you need to get it checked out. Really, really great point there, Jackie. And I think a lot of women do put up with those sort of um, symptoms that do come along with that. But knowing that, you know, that there may be uh, a deeper issue going on is really, really important. Yeah. And it's crazy. I mean, I don't know who came up with this either. I don't know how you can test this, but for the men that are listening, period pain is like apparently getting kicked in the nuts, but it lasts hours. So whatever pain it is that you experience, imagine that going on inside a woman for ages. I guess so, we're going to touch on that after about how men can support um, support women during this period. Um, but I guess I want to touch on a little bit more finer details before we get into that. And you mentioned earlier, Jackie, the role that estrogen, estrogen, not estrogen, estrogen plays in um, the women's reproductive cycle. Do men have this hormone as well? And what sort of role does that play in men? They do. They only have a really small amount though. Um, in men, I think it has really similar roles in terms of supporting things like bone health, skin health and all of that. Um, but it's nowhere near to the level that men, that um, women have inside of them. This is a really interesting fact actually that you say any man that's using um, anabolic steroids in the hormonal pathways, testosterone can actually convert to estrogen. So if you're pumping yourself with too much testosterone, that is a part of it that can go on. For men that are that get, um, what's it called? Gyne, I don't know the proper name, gynomaster something or other. I do know it, but it's not in my head right now. But where men get man boobs, um, again, that's that overproduction of estrogen and having fat on areas where men normally shouldn't, i.e. the hips, the thighs and the back of the arms where women normally put the weight on. Um, if men are receiving that sort of weight gain too, tends to be too much estrogen inside the man because there is that um, hormonal pathway where testosterone can convert to estrogen. So, yeah, one thing to be mindful of, especially if you're a man that's taking anabolic steroids and you're finding they're not working and you're actually receiving things like man boobs, that can be an explanation for that. 
So yes, estrogen does exist, exist inside a man, nowhere near as much as what it does in a woman, just like with testosterone. All women have testosterone, just nowhere near as much as a man. Also, ladies, part of the reason why you won't get bulky if you lift weights, it's almost physically impossible. Unless you're pumping testosterone into your body, you're not going to get bulky. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Great little side note there, Jackie. You answered my next question <laughs> as well. And I guess... Heading into, you know, listening to your body now, I want to know how, and I guess a lot of women listening will want to know how they can get to know their period better. And I guess that comes down to listening to their body. Do you have any tips for women out there to start listening to their body and taking notes of the signs and symptoms that their body is sending them through this period? 100%. So as I said to you earlier, ovulation is the main event. So the main thing as a woman that we want to know is, are we ovulating? And if we're not, why aren't we ovulating? So there are some key things that a woman can look out for during their cycle, some I've already mentioned, that will tell them if they're ovulating. So my favorite thing to do, I have an app. Um, you can use either one that's called, I've got used a few. My favorite's probably called Clue. It's very user-friendly. There's another one, Kinjara, which is a bit more science-y, not as user-friendly. And another one that some women use is Flow, which I have never used personally. But it's great. You can track everything on this app, your moods, your libido, whether you've had sex or not, was it unprotected? Do I have any pain, lower back pain, anything like that? How's my skin going? Um, so number one is I would download an app. Like I said, Clue is probably my favorite. If I'm going to, I'm not sponsored by them or anything. I'm nobody. I'm just you talking about it. <laughs> um, that's my favorite. That's my favorite one to use. So what I encourage women to look for is number one would be your mood. How are you feeling? Are you tired? Are you energetic? These are things that, you know, I think we should start to register inside of our body to start to see patterns occur. Now, in terms of have we ovulated, uh, my number one is getting to know your cervical mucus. Gross. I know, right? Sorry, boys that are listening. It sounds foul, but deal with it because we've got to deal with it. <laughs> so our cervical mucus changes throughout our reproductive cycle throughout that 21 to 35 days of whatever a woman's cycle length is. So beginning that menstrual phase when we're actually having our bleed, it, other than the blood, your mucus will be rather dry. So you shouldn't really see much of a mucus. Going into that second phase, that follicular phase, where the follicles are coming to the edge of the ovary and estrogen is producing, we should see a non-fertile, white, creamy, sometimes slightly yellow, tacky kind of mucus inside of our underwear. Again, you can see it. Generally, it's mostly in the underwear, sometimes on the toilet paper. Um, and then you lead up to that ovulation. So just before ovulation is when we get that raw egg white, rather sticky mucus that comes out rather slippery. Um, it's kind of stretchy as well. Like you can Google a photo and you'll, there's one with a woman holding it on her fingers and she's literally pulling it apart and it stretches between the two fingers for a nice visual image for everyone listening. Um, <laughs> I won't so have that, that in the show notes for you guys. You can Google yeah. that one yourself. <laughs> So that's that fertile mucus. That is, the, that is the escalator for the sperm. That is one that you really, really want to be careful of if you're trying to avoid pregnancy or if you're trying to get pregnant, that's one that you want to go, oh, yep, time to come over here, hubby. Let's get going. 
So that's the one that you want to be really careful of. The raw egg white, the fertile, the slippery, clear mucus. Days before ovulation, it will come due to that rise of estrogen. Once we see that, we want to go, okay, let's just, let's make sure we're very careful here. If we're not using hormonal contraception, things like condoms can be great or just abstaining from sex for that sort of week period around that area. So that's number one, clearly in terms of looking at ovulation is your mucus. Oh, and just before your period, again, you will see it sort of starts to get a little bit thicker and then you begin to bleed. Um, number two, in terms of ovulation is really, really, this is probably the most crucial one in telling if you've ovulated or not, is a rise in basal body temperature. So this is the temperature that we would take right upon waking. Don't move around, don't go to the toilet or anything like that. Roll over, grab the thermometer that you should have on your bedside table and stick it in your mouth. Monitoring your temperature every day is probably the best way to know if you've ovulated or not. The best way to help as well with pregnancy tracking, if you're either one trying to get pregnant or two trying to avoid pregnancy, is knowing your basal body temperature. So for most women, their basal body temperature will sit around the 36, 36.3 degree mark. And then we get a consistent rise of roughly 0.3 degrees. So let's say my body temperature is 36.3. It will rise to 36.6 after I have ovulated. Now it does this for numerous of physiological reasons, but this temperature rise also means that we're actually burning more calories during this time. Your body will rise in temperature all the way until your next bleed. So as soon as you've seen that 0.3 degree rise and it's consistently 0.3 degrees for at least the next 10 to 16 days of that luteal phase, that means you have ovulated. Tick the box, you've done, you've won, good job. I think now that's an important, very- sorry, Jackie, to interrupt. I think yeah. that's an important point to highlight for women to not feel, you know, so stressed about consuming more calories in that period because your body is, you know, burning more calories. Yes, yes, 100%. This is what I scream to my clients all the time. So when you have that body temperature rise, your body can burn anywhere from three to 400 calories extra every single day until you bleed. Until you see that temperature drop, we are burning more calories. That is simply because your body is uptaking more and more nutrients. There's a great study about it on all the actual amino acids, all the fats, all the proteins that we have inside of us and the carbohydrates. And it shows the different uptakes between every phase of the menstrual cycle. Really, really interesting study. Um, and we physically are using more chemicals and substances inside of our body. We're using more proteins. We're using more carbs. We're using more fats to help prepare our body for a baby. Whether a woman wants it or not, her body is wanting her to get pregnant every single month. Doesn't mean you will, but that is what the body is trying to do. So this is where it's so cool that we can start to, as a woman, it's so good when you start to get to know your body and track these things inside of your app because you go, oh my God, like I have it. I have a day in particular where I am ravenous. I will literally eat and eat and eat and eat and whatever I do, nothing can stop my hunger. I'm not even joking. It's so strange Um, that I just will eat so much food. And then you go, God, like sometimes you get that guilt, you know, because as women, we're pressured to be the certain size all the time. We get this guilt. And then I go back and I look at my app and I go, oh no, actually that makes sense. I should have ovulated. My temperature should have risen. 
I can, you know, allow myself to have that. Don't worry that I'm feeling hungry. Just go ahead and suffice that hunger. Go and eat some food. You know, three to 400 calories extra a day is like an entire extra meal. And if we're depriving our body of that, you're going to deprive your body of the nutrients. We're going to end up on the verge of nutrient deficiencies, which can lead to hormonal imbalances, which can lead to thyroid conditions. So it's really important as a woman to know that, to understand that, to accept that and go, no, cool, I'm going to eat some more food because my body is doing cool things to try and make a baby right now. But I think, you know, it allows doing all this is beyond just, you know, trying to track contraception or trying to get pregnant. It's learning your body, being literacy, like I love the term body literacy, being aware of what goes on and allowing ourselves to relax a little bit and understand ourselves when we might need more food, you know, where we might be more moody. It's, yeah, it's period tracking is well beyond the reproductive thing. Definitely, Jackie. And I think, you know, it's easy for me to sit here and say, say this next statement, but um, I guess looking at that sort of situation in a different light um, releases some of that stress and negative connotations do come along with those things. So starting to celebrate these amazing sort of moments in, in that the human body is doing to us, like they're incredible beings. So starting to celebrate those things and looking them from a positive light um, would release a lot of that you know, stress associated with those, those um, things. One thing that I need to nitpick on as well is that why aren't we taught this? Like I literally only learned this stuff a couple of years ago, not even a year ago. Like it's, for me, it should be a program in schools. And it's something that I'm looking at doing like as a woman, you know, from those menstruating ages, we need to start understanding these things. And, you know, it takes anywhere up to 12 years now that they're finding that the woman's reproductive cycle needs to mature. So I wish that young girls can hear this, that they know that this stuff is going on inside of your body. And I know, you know, at different stages of your life, you have different priorities, but it's pretty freaking amazing what the woman's body can do. And it does it every single month, month in, month out, that having that body awareness, that body literacy, not going, eh, I've got this mucus inside of my underwear going, cool, I'm ovulating now. How funny is that? <laughs> getting, getting excited about those things in the body to understand ourselves and to know that, yeah, this is a sign of something, you know, reproductive or not, even with men, you know, if we eat something and we've gotten gassy and bloated and we're fighting and we're our, pain, our stomach is in pain, that's not your body hating on you. That's your body communicating to you. Every single moment, your body is communicating something to you. And I think that we as people, individuals, not just women, need to be a hell of a lot more aware of what our body is doing. And the things that we sometimes see as gross, like a period, or negative, like a period. Some women hate getting their period. It's actually a really beautiful thing. And it's an amazing thing. It's explaining what our body's doing. Love that, Jackie. I think that's a really, really important bit of advice. And if you guys take nothing out of that podcast but that, I think that's a, that's a really important bit there, Jackie. Now, I guess, like I touched on before, it's easy for a male to sit here and have a conversation about it. But I, I think that men play a really important role in this aspect, and, I, and that's support. And I want to know, from a women's perspective, what role can a man play in this sort of situation? Definitely. Um, look, my partner, my fiance, he's great. He's very, um, <laughs> he puts up with a lot and he's so um, understanding and calm that nothing really phases him too much. But I know a lot of men aren't like that. 
Um, if I, I would, this is another thing that I'm trying to get into, educate men about the female reproductive cycle. I've got a way to make it interesting for men. Um, is that number one, we are changing weekly. You men are pretty consistent. Sorry, that sounds really derogatory. You men. Men are pretty consistent in their hormones. It's pretty, it's pretty flat line. Whereas in menstrual cycle, you'll see FSH, LH, estrogen and progesterone, those hormones, they're literally going up and down at different times of the month. That I think that um, men need to understand that a woman is changing weekly and that our hormones do much more than just make a baby or make a period. It is well beyond that. They control our mood, they control our skin, they control our hair, they control our bones, our heart health, our insulin resistance, our insulin sensitivity, all of that kind of stuff. All hormones are communicators. So if men can understand that we're changing and just give us a bit of leeway, you know, if we're really tired one day or if, we're out, if we don't want to have sex because our libido shot that day or, you know, we're in serious pain from our period, just either just take a step back if you can't understand it, just let the woman breathe or, you know, just support if she wants something, do it. Again, though, women be understanding that men might not understand where you're coming from. So I think it's, it's always a two-way street that, we need to not just, if we've just cracked it and yelled at our man, you know, or, and I'm not talking boyfriend, I mean dad, I mean brother, anyone, just go, okay, that was a bit irrational, whoops, go and apologise and just say, hey, look, I'm about to get my period, hence the mood, I'm really sorry. You know, and you, know, you don't necessarily need to apologise for it, but just make the man understand that, that can, there can be a reason why. I think it's a matter of, not just getting shitty and shutting up saying, Hey, my period's coming. That's why I'm moody. Things like that, that they can start to make that connection. Cause it, it's pretty cyclical. Like we're pretty, our moods change in that cycle. And it's really, it's really interesting. <laughs> I know there are times that I'll crack it at Tom and I'll be like, Oh my God, sorry. That was really irrational. My bad. I'm just getting my period. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I think that's a really important um, conversation that needs to be had as well, Jackie. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to record this podcast to normalize this conversation. I think that you know, rather than um, suppressing these these symptoms and, and conversations, let's bring them to light and let's talk yeah. about them in a normal way. Yeah. And like, you know, even just like there's like the things that we've got to do with, uh, you can be see them as so annoying. Like, the other, like I personally, again, might be TMI, but I'm an open book. I use a menstrual cup for when I bleed, which it's a little cup that inserts inside your uterus. It collects the blood. You empty it twice a day. Um, you know, I was changing that the other day and I was like, to Tom, I was like, don't, don't come in. I'm just changing my menstrual cup. And he was like, ew, yuck, really? And I was like, no, shut up. I was like, bite me. I was like, this is something that we deal with every day, whether it's a tampon, a pad or a menstrual cup, you know, we've got to go and be, make a conscious effort to make sure it's not leaking, to make sure it's sitting in there properly, to make sure that we've changed it at the right time. It's a thing that men don't need to do. Just like if when we get onto contraception, if women are on the pill, you know, we've got to take a pill every day. We've got to check our temperature every day. The most that a man really has to do is put a condom on sometimes which I know a lot of the times isn't actually the case. Like we've got a lot that we've got to do that women just sort of put up with. 
um, because it, it's the way it is. And I'm not knocking on men. It's not your fault that you don't have estrogen and progesterone like we do. You don't have ovaries like we do. It's just that we've got to create that understanding. And I think the more and more we communicate about that with our partner, with our brother, with our dad, with our nephew, whoever it is, the more that that will become less ill and more, okay, more normal. Love that. Amazing points there, Jackie. And I guess that you touched on the, the contraceptive pill and that brings me into, you know, the next sort of realm of conversation that we're going to go on. And we spoke about like the normal menstrual cycle and I, get, I use normal in inverted commas because it does range um, depending on your women and yes. like Actually, everything. Can I make a statement go on. there? Go on. That, um, sorry, just important for women who are going to track their ovulation is that if we're looking at a 28 day cycle, it's day 14. Um, however, a woman's cycle can change. So my, I know I said to use an app. However, don't rely on your app to tell you if you've ovulated or not because that can cause you some serious problems if you're not wanting to get pregnant. I need you to make sure that you're tracking those symptoms and those key things like the temperature rise, like the cervical mucus, and you simply use your app as a diary to refer back to because everyone's day 14 will be slightly different based on how lengthy their cycle is. So you need to be more, again, aware, having that body literacy to understand when you're ovulating, what the key signs are. Do I have that temperature rise? Okay, I've ovulated. Time to be careful or time to make a baby, whatever it is. So just make sure that you're listening to your body and looking at what your body's doing, not looking at what the app is doing that the app is simply a diary and the more and more data you collect over the months that go on, the more aware and knowledgeable of your body you'll be. Love it. Great point. No, don't be sorry at all. That's a really, really important point. I think now heading into the contraceptive pill, I know that that's really prevalent among society these days, I guess a little bit of a background on what the contraceptive pill is Jackie. And then, you know, how is it used in nowadays society? Yep. So look, if we're looking at the pill, it actually was created back in the early like 1950s, which was really funnily enough, a time where contraception was of the opinion that it should be illegal and it wasn't yet legal. You know, this is around the time that a substance called DT, DDT, which is a pesticide, was thought to be safe. This is also not true. DDT is now banned from use because it's known to cause all kinds of problems in the body like cancers. This is also when smoking used to be prescribed by doctors. So it's a really, really old medication, I guess. And look, not knocking history. History is really important and some things from history are still quite true. However, some things have also changed the more and more we found out. So what the pill is, more often than not, it's a combination pill, which is hormonal, in inverted commas, in that it's made with synthetic hormones. So what it does, there's some examples are ethyl estradiol, which is a fake estrogen. And then you've got what's called progestins, which are fake progesterones or synthetic progesterones. The main, one of the main ones being levonorgestrel. Now, what these are designed to do in the body is they mimic the look of our hormones. It's like putting on a costume and you're looking like someone else, you're trying to be someone else, that's what they do. They're a fake hormone that goes inside the body that essentially shuts down all the female's reproductive hormones. Just reiterate that in your own brain. It shuts down the production of our body's natural hormones. 
which if I'm to put this on a man's perspective, the complete same thing would be to take a pill to completely hinder testosterone. Now, if you look at what testosterone does in a male, it helps with, you know, muscle production. That's why, you know, men are always stronger or not always, but, you know, the elite level men are generally stronger than women and they have more muscle mass than women. They have the six pack and if they're going to gain weight, it's around their abdomen. It's not around their hips and thighs. Men have more testosterone. So testosterone, like I said, does the muscle building. If without it, you'd all have man boobs and look like women. So taking a pill, if you were to take an oral contraceptive pill, we're shutting down your body's ability to make testosterone. Can you imagine what that looks like? Physically on a man and mentally, testosterone also helps with mood and things like depression. If we're shutting that down, imagine what it's doing for women. Go back to the start of the podcast where I spoke about the roles of progesterone, the anti-anxiety the calming hormone helps with the relaxation and sleep. It also helps hold the uterus lining in. Or you've got estrogen, the serotonin booster, the dopamine booster helps with our mood, our libido, our muscles, our brain, our heart. We're shutting that down. That is exactly what the oral contraceptive pill does. It completely flattens hormones, um, which I think is really crucial to look at as well is that we need to stop compartmentalizing women's hormones into just about making babies or making a period. It, it isn't simply about that anymore. You're, we know that estrogen and progesterone does so much more systemically, so much more for the rest of our body that when we're taking an oral contraceptive pill, women need to be keeping that in mind that you're going to shut down your hormones that so much more can lead on from that and you're pumping in fake hormones instead. Which is just something to be really careful. <laughs> Definitely. I think that's a really, really important um, bit of information that, you know, can come out of this because it's not just simply used to stop you from getting pregnant. There's a whole list of other effects that happen once you start going on the contraceptive pill hundred percent. And, you know, women, I don't blame women though. Like, so if I'm going to take me like to make this bit more relatable, I went on the pill when I was about 16 for contraceptive purposes, me and a group of girlfriends walked down the road from our school to a family clinic. And we all sat there in the waiting room or went into the doctor one at a time and said, yeah, we want to go on the pill. Like so uneducated about it. All you learn in school is like really sort of how to use a condom and that the pill stops you from making a baby. Like the conversation runs way deeper than that. And it's not that, you know, we're not lied to as women, but I think we're a little bit betrayed from the healthcare system in our schools in that we don't know the full facts. And I think if women knew exactly how much of an effect the pill had inside of our bodies, I think we'd all think twice before we began taking it. Yeah, definitely. And I guess, the, like you said before, it's so appealing because of the convenience aspect, isn't it? A hundred percent. Yeah. Easy. Pop a pill in your mouth every morning. That's it. Super, I, guess, I guess that leads into the next sort of part. What are some other forms of contraception that, you know, both sort of parties can take? Yeah. So, well, if we look at other hormonal, so again, these fake hormones, we've got things like the rod or the implanon. 
Um, we've got the Marina, the IUD. It's a T-shaped device that sits inside the uterus and releases the hormones. Um, they're sort of the main hormonal ones that women take. And then we've got the non-hormonal versions. So there is a copper version of the IUD, the interuterine device. Again, a T-shaped bit of plastic and copper that sits inside the uterus. So instead of releasing hormones, that the copper ions are released inside the uterus and they actually cleave the sperm. So they cut the tail off the sperm. They also help thin the uterus lining, which means an egg can't implant to the wall. Um, and then there's, of course, condoms. Condoms are a great form of contraception, people. Just make sure you use them right, buy the right size. You know, it's like putting on, if you were to put on a shoe, a shoe that's too big for your foot, it's going to fall off or it's going to break. You know, there are things like that to be conscious of when using condoms. Um, and there's also one of my favorites and personally what I use is the fertility awareness method, which takes you back to sort of that temp temperature checking, knowing your estrogen, recording your temperature and abstaining or using a barrier method like a condom from uh, during sex during that, um, that ovulation period or when a woman can fall pregnant which I should probably talk about. I said earlier that a woman ovulates over 24 hours. This is the case. So the egg is released, goes into the fallopian tube and then into the, and hoping to meet a sperm. And that's a 24 hour process. However, a woman can fall pregnant roughly six days a month. This is because a man's sperm can live inside the vagina for up to five days on average. So, if you have sex five days before you ovulate and there's sperm inside of you, you can fall pregnant before you actually ovulate because that sperm will stay in there, which is something that I think a lot of people don't know. I do these Friday quizzes on my Instagram and I had a lot of people answer that question wrong is how many days of the month can a woman fall um, pregnant? So generally anywhere up to six to seven days, women need to be careful. So before ovulation, then when you ovulate, you've got a 24-hour period in which you can fall pregnant. Well, Hopefully. I did not know that either. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's insane, isn't it? Yeah, so basically be careful around that time. Again, this is where, so personally, when I use my app, if I'm not trying to fall pregnant, I'll go, I'll look at my app and go, okay, I'm probably ovulating soon. I'm still taking my temperature. I'm watching my cervical mucus. All right, we're going to use a condom or we're going to abstain, abstain from sex. I'm really great. I've been tracking my period for years now. So I kind of know my body like at the drop of a hat um, that I'll be really careful around that time. However, my partner and I are also in a stage of our life where we're quite happy to have a child if I fall pregnant. So that's one thing that, you know, women need to also understand, like, if you talk to me five years ago at the age of 21, I don't, I don't want to have a baby. So you need to make sure that you're doing the right or utilizing the right kind of contraception for your stage of your life too. Now the fertility awareness method, what I use, as I just said, the temperature checking and everything when done right, it's actually about 99% effective. So if you're doing it right, you're highly educated. It's a really, really good way of non-hormonal contraception. Again, condoms are there or you have the copper IUD, which is a long-term use where you really don't have to think about much either. So there are some other options for you. Yeah, great. I love that. And I think it, it's just like a, a practice, you know, once you start to do it, the more you do it, the easier it becomes and the more in tune with your body and the signs and symptoms that um, exactly. they send you. 
you know, understand as a woman that um, unfortunately it's your job. Like, you know, it always takes two to tango. Do not get me wrong, but you're the one with the ovaries. You're the one that gets period. You're the one that's going to hold the baby. So it's up to you to be tracking those things. Um, and I always say to anyone who's starting that fertility awareness method, who's never really tracked their period, wear condoms. <laughs> if you don't want to get pregnant just while you're learning, it's like having your training wheels on. Just wear condoms when you're having sex. If that's the route that you're wanting to go down, be overcautious because again, I don't want to be sitting here recommending something like the fertility awareness method and then having women fall pregnant left, right and center, then going to go and get abortions or doing whatever they want to do in terms of that aspect and, you know, not wanting to originally have been in that position. You need to make sure that you're really educated there. So, cause you know, abortions and things like that have all kinds of complications too, and not just physical mental as well. So that you need to really be careful, really do your research and understand and get someone to guide you through it. Reach out to an expert, book in with a naturopath, book in with a nutritionist, whoever it might be, book in with an um, endocrinologist and work through how to actually do this phase. It's also something that I'm working on now too is trying to get a webinar set up to help women go through this. Um, because the last thing I want is a woman falling pregnant when she doesn't want to be and having to deal with the repercussions after that. Yeah, really, really important bits of advice there, Jackie. Thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. And I guess, you know, cupping off the, the contraceptive pill, there's a lot of, well, not a lot of, there are some negative implications when you're coming off the pill that your body may experience. And I guess going back to reasonings for getting on the pill, there are some other reasons that doctors or GPs may prescribe you for the pill. Now, look, doctors, they'll prescribe the pill because, again, it, it shuts down your hormones. So it is the world's biggest band-aid to stop symptoms from going on because it literally shuts things down. It doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't fix the reason why a woman's not ovulating. If anything, it makes it worse. So women need to be really careful in use of the pill in regards to using it as a symptom relief because it's not going to fix the cause. Now, do, me get, do not get me wrong. There are probably two times when I would agree with a woman to take the pill. Number one is if a woman is 100% fully educated about all the types of contraception, exactly what the pill will do to her, knows all the facts, all the physiological complications or things that arise from taking the pill and she still chooses to take the pill, of course, I'm never going to stop anyone from doing that. And the other time is if there is completely debilitating symptoms of things such as endometriosis, such as fibroids, such as adenomyosis, all these reproductive conditions that a woman, you know, can't even get through her day. She can't go to work. She can't do anything. Um, again, there are some things that we can do there. It's not my favorite thing to do either. Things like the um, arena can actually be better in terms of that, that symptom picture because it's a less systemic release of hormones and more sort of located to just the uterus area. Um, but if you are fully educated and you still choose to take the pill, 100%, every woman has their own choice to do exactly what they want. Or if you're getting completely life debilitating symptoms and you're needing to take the pill to help crush those symptoms so you can get on with your day, 100%. However, just know that it's not going to fix the problem. More often than not, it is just a symptom relief. 
again, like I know lots of women that go on the pill for bad skin and bad acne, and then they also get thrown at them an antibiotic, a long-term antibiotic, which is just double whammy. It's not actually going to solve the problem. All it's going to do is suppress the hormones. And in actual fact, when you end up coming off the pill, you can get what's called post-pill acne, which is 10 times worse. If you don't mind, I'm going to delve into that a little bit too. Please go for it. (laughs) So here's a funny thing, right? Lots of women, they will um, go to the doctor and they'll get the pill for, let's say, contraceptive reasons. And they actually end up getting acne on the pill again, because we have this suppression of hormones ends up being a real big imbalance that goes on. So they actually get acne from being on the pill. I mentioned earlier, there's that fake progesterone, that levonorgestrel that has a high androgen effect, meaning that it can draw on things like weight gain. It can draw on things like insulin resistance and it can draw on things like acne because it's got that high androgen index, which a woman isn't supposed to have. So then what they'll do, they go back to the doctor and they go, hey, doc, look, my skin's really bad. Ever since I've been on this pill, what can you do about it? The doctor goes, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll give you another type of pill, which has a lower androgen index to it, meaning it's less likely to have those testosterone-like effects. Yasmin and Diane are two really common ones that are given in this case. Um, again, if a woman isn't on anything and she's got really bad acne and she goes to the doctor, the doctor gives her a pill, they'll generally give her one of these two. Now, what this actually does is it dries up the skin oils because it suppresses the sebum production in the skin. So the pill literally suppresses your skin's ability to make oil. But then the body is a really amazing, really smart thing. What it does, it begins to produce more and more skin oils whilst you're on the pill because it goes, oh, my natural ability is shut down, fire out what's going on. I'm going to try and make more oil because our skin needs oil. So it keeps producing oil, keeps producing oil. Then what happens is a woman gets to the time where she ends up wanting to come off the pill. She comes off the pill and boom your body starts to produce those skin oils that it, like it used to. The skin oils aren't being suppressed anymore by the pill, plus you're overproducing because of the lack that you used to have whilst you were on the pill. Then you get a double whammy of that oil production. Now, this can happen straight away after coming off the pill or for a lot of women, it doesn't happen till two, three to six months after coming off the pill and they get this crazy surge of acne on their face. Like you can't win. You go on the pill to get off to remove the acne, but then when you come off it, you're going to get a double whammy. Or you go on the pill and you end up gaining acne because you're on that high androgen index pill. So really when it comes to skin, it's really, really complex. And that is a huge thing for women, having acne on their face. No one wants that. No one wants that at all. When in actual fact, there's been a study done that zinc actually proved to be a better treatment for acne than what the pill does. And on top of that, it's cheaper. So I don't know why, I don't know where the prescription for, you know, I don't know if it's easier to go on the pill or something like that, where that comes in in terms of acne. But if you have acne and you're looking at going on the pill, or if you've come off the pill and you've got a serious surge of acne, there is a little explanation as to why this can go on. I think the most important thing in this whole situation is education, Jackie, and, you know, seeking out advice from people that are experts in the field and getting to know your body is an absolute must for these situations. Definitely, 100%. Like there are so, you know, and we've only gone on for a few things here. There's things like hair, um, hair loss. 
in particular, again, with those high androgen-like pills, the ones with the levonorgestrel in it. So if you're on the pill, go and have a look at your packet and see if it's got levonorgestrel in it. That's that high androgen index pill. You know, if you've gained weight or if your hair is thinning or if you've got hair growing in places that you don't want, i.e. your face, around the nipples, around the belly button, that can be due to that pill. And sometimes we just neglect it. It's like, oh, I'm on the pill. I've, I've heard it causes weight gain. Oh, well, I don't want a baby, so we'll just deal with that. Well, it's actually speaking way bigger things about to what's going on inside of your body. And one thing, another side effect of the pill that I do need to mention is that it has a serious link with depression, especially in teens. It is much, much more likely for women that have been on the pill to suffer depression even years, I'm talking a decade, 10 years after being on the pill. Part of it's making, it makes you more sensitive to stress. It can also change the structure of the brain, that front lateral cortex of the brain, which, you know, help affects, it, it helps deal with our mood. You know, things like losses of um, libido and sex drive as well. Your vagina actually dries up when you take the pill. Again, we're suppressing those hormones. There are so many things to it that I think that as women, we're not told. And it shouldn't just be a, oh, well, I don't want to get pregnant, so I'll just deal with that stuff. There are other ways that we can go about it. And again, your cycle, like when you're on the pill, you shut down ovulation. I spoke about it. Ovulation is the main event. It speaks way more about health than what, you know, than what the reproductive cycle, than what people think. So when you take the pill, you're suppressing ovulation. You have such a flow on effect for systemic things that it's doing to your body, mood, bone, skin, hair, heart, brain, all of that is affected. So I just think, again, I'm not here to talk people off being on the pill or to not going on to the pill. You need to make your own decision. But I need women to be asking the right questions and to question their doctor and don't just let themselves, you know, buckle under the pressure that a doctor can sometimes give. Again, I'm not knocking doctors here, but they're the ones that are giving out the pill. That you've got to ask the questions. You've got to be educated. And please know that there are reasons why things might be going on and there are other ways that we can deal with it. It's not the pill or nothing. It's not the pill or pregnancy. That's not true. There are other options that we can use. Definitely, Jackie, some really, really great points there. And I guess on the topic of the pill, there are different varied doses of the pill, correct? So in terms of on a lower dose pill, would someone still experience those sort of side effects um, or those sorts of imbalances being on a lower dose pill? <laughs> so it can all still happen um it all really again it's very individualized to the woman every woman's reproductive cycle is so different but you are still suppressing your hormones you're still shutting it down you're still shutting down ovulation that those effects can still go on and it might you know i might take one pill and be fine and then another woman might take the same pill and they completely go off the charts and they're severely depressed with with severe acne you know it, it it can affect every woman differently but every hormonal contraceptive that you take will shut down ovulation i'm blown away by the wealth of knowledge that you have jackie and and you know the things that i've learned in this podcast as well i think it's really important from a male's perspective to understand how these systems work and and what the women are going through in these um sort of hormonal changes and and this system in the body yeah it's so important that we need to know that our reproductive health 
is way more than just our reproductive health. It's about systemically what goes on inside the body. Our hormones are communicating in many other ways. Just like testosterone isn't just about creating sperm, it's also about building muscle. It's an important conversation to have with men. It's an important conversation to have with ourselves and to educate ourselves as women. And you know, any man that has a woman in their life should really know this. And that we need to be aware and making sure that we're ovulating because that is crucial for health and being, yeah, knowing that it's much greater than having a period or making a baby. It's much, much more of a wider effect than that. Amazing, Jackie. Great summary there. And I've really, really enjoyed this podcast learning everything there is to know about the female reproductive system and coming to the end of the podcast. Now I'd love to summarize. I know we're going to be talking in future podcasts as well, but I'd love to summarize the list for the listeners at home, your main message and, and why you get out of bed each and every day. Look, I've had a lot of disease go on in my life and a lot of death and death of people close to me, including, including my own dad. And I think it's from a lot of things that are completely avoidable. Um, that, even though we might not care about things like heart disease and cancer now, that it's going to be something that affects us later on in our life. Um, that we need to realize what we do in the first 50 years of our life sets us up for the next 50 years. And I think we need to be really mindful that no matter what you're doing, include more plants into your diet, include more fruit, veg, whole grains and legumes into your diet move your body in a way that you love and you can't be unhappy with yourself. If you were truly nourishing your body with nature and moving it the right way that's right for you, I think you'll be a much, much happier person. And that on top of that, if we've got something going wrong with us, ask questions. Don't just be there and be told what's wrong with you. Don't just be told what's normal, what's common and what's not. Ask questions. And if it doesn't sit well with you, what something that's been said goes on and you're like, hey, I don't really, I don't really get that or I don't really understand or that doesn't really make sense to me, question it, research it, see someone else. Don't quit until you're happy. Because it happened to me. I lost my period for a year and then had serious complications for the next two years after, so three years in total, and no one gave me the right answer. And I pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And I finally got to a place now where I know for a fact I ovulate. I know for a fact I can make a baby. And, you know, I asked the questions and I kept going until I was happy. You know, make sure it might take 10, 20 health professionals for you to get there, but make sure you push yourself to do that. And in the meantime, focus on what you control, can focus on what you can control, which is fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, moving your body in a way that you love. And I think you can't go wrong. Definitely, it comes back to taking ownership of your own health. Exactly right. And, you know, those things that we can do are so easy. And as I said at the start, less than 10% of us are doing it. So it's such, such a small thing to do with such a big benefit. And for benefits that we're not going to know until, you know, we're 60, 70 years old and we can still run marathons. Or are we stuck in our bed and we can't tie our own shoelaces? Amazing. Great point there, Jackie. Now for the listeners at home that were really captivated by your knowledge base and would really love to get in contact with you, where can they find you? Yeah. Best way to go would probably be my Instagram. So that's adaptive or at adaptive health and performance. Send me a DM on there. Send me a message. More than happy to give a chat to anyone and everyone that's on there. I'll get back to you as quick as I can. And I like to think of, I don't want to be, I don't have any goals to be an influencer in inverted commas. I want to be an (laughs) I want to be an educator. 
I want my Instagram to be about learning and I want people to know these things that we're not getting told. Um, you know, why should only the health professionals know this knowledge? We should all get to know it to me in my eyes, it should be general knowledge. So that's what my page is all about. Definitely. And absolutely love the content that you share, Jackie. It's um, really captivating. And I think everyone can, can um, learn a thing or two from that. Yeah, come watch me on my whiteboard chat. So I fill up a lot of people's stories, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> They're my favourite part. I love them. <laughs> I really, sometimes I go for too long and I'm like, oh no, I don't know how much people have that, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> it's so hard to summarise a human body. It's such a complex, amazing system. So keep it up, mate. Oh, You're doing great. <laughs> oh, no, thank you very much. Thank you. Jackie, thank you so much for the podcast today, mate. I really enjoyed it and I learned so much. And um, yeah, can't wait to tee up some future conversations. I think they'll be epic. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, to say we covered some territory in that one would be an absolute understatement. Jackie, thank you so much for your wisdom and sharing that with the Euphoria Health community during this week's episode. I personally learned so much from today's chat and it really dives a little bit deeper than the sex ed class that we all go into at year nine where males are separated into one room and females are in the other. So I think this is really, really important that both male and female know what's going on with their body and and it's thought provoking. It encourages you to really ask more questions about why you're experiencing the symptoms that you are. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, there's a real easy way to do it. All you have to do is jump on the podcast app on iTunes and leave a rating and review. It only takes a couple of minutes and it would be much appreciated. Well, that's all from me, friends. Have a great week and I'll see you next time.